What it do? It's your girl, Just Be Real, and welcome back for another episode of Just Be Real Podcast. Life been getting crazy by the day, and it's getting really real out here in these streets. So, I don't know about y'all, but I'm questioning myself, is it really safe? So, in that case, let's talk about it. Enough of me chatting. Let's get real. What's up, my good people? Um, life's been lifing. I don't know about y'all, but it's a struggle to survive every day to keep a sound and sane mind. And it's just, it's crazy. I know it's probably like the last thing people want to talk about, but what I mean, me if I didn't talk about it, so I'm gonna talk about it only because we've had the episodes of, you know, the lightheartedness, but we got to talk about the real. And it's called Just Be Real Podcast, so ain't nothing off the table, but we're gonna have to keep it a stack about it because. We are united in grief at this point. And Kendrick, I don't know, his album couldn't have came out at a more perfect time, but we are united in grief, and the grief is heavy as hell. I mean, given that there are positives, like I said before in my other episode about representation mattering, there are positives, but when it comes to this culture and society, the way we are backpedaling and rewinding history while it's replaying itself is crazy. I don't know if y'all got a chance to listen to my poetic relief, which is my little bonus I added for y'all, which is me, you know, going back to my original origins because I was listening to my pastor and um, the the sermon he had preached was, I know you don't want to hear it. And it's ironic because I know a lot of stuff that I speak about, I know y'all don't want to hear it. There's a lot of stuff I speak about that the world doesn't want to hear. But in that case of that, that poetic relief, when I spent that three minutes of my poetry and my spoken word, I know y'all didn't want to hear it, but y'all was going to have to hear it. And I know there's a lot of a lot of wordplay going on in there. And um, that's always been a strong suit of mine. So poetry is how poetry is my way of how I used to express myself before journaling came into play like journaling was there but i was never consistent so poems were how i used to express myself and then when poetry i realized poetry was really you know a way that you can convert that into lyrics that's when i started to dabble a little bit into like you know spitting like rapping a little bit rapping is not my strong suit i do it for like fun or whatever like i've had a couple you know moments of me spitting but like bars but like Rapping isn't a passion for me, but poetry is. So I'm like, you know what? The people get my voice. They get my thoughts. But have they seen me outside when it comes to just, you know, my literary essence of what I'm able to just express myself as outside of just using my words and just talking to y'all? So if y'all haven't listened to Poetic Relief, go check that out because it coincides to the fact of we are in united grief. And as I said, this episode is titled, Is It Even Safe Anymore? Because I know I'm not the only one thinking this. Is it even safe anymore? Like, I'm at the point where working from home, because I work from home indefinitely, is a vibe because I'm an introvert. So I don't give a damn. Like, keep me in the crib. Let me work where I can just close the door and still be able to take a nap on my lunch. I'm good. Like, I don't really have to go out. I don't really have to waste gas, even though gas is going down, which I'm happy about. But it's the principle of, like, you don't know what's out there. 
Like people's mentals are not stable. They're breaking more day by day. You have monkeypox. You have all these diseases. You don't know people clean. You don't know what the type of meth is going on. Some people still not wearing masks. Ma look at me, not talking. Some people still not wearing masks. Some people still are. If you're like me, I'm doubling up. Hand sanitizer on deck 24-7 with anything I touch that. I don't know it's been cleaned. I'm still wiping down all of my groceries and stuff like that. And, you know, spraying my crib, changing, making sure the vibes is right with the sage, the crystals. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot, okay? And it's very wearing and tearing on your mental and your spirit to just live. Or to be alive, I should say. Living is easy. You can just do a, a mundane routine. But to be alive, it's harder by the days because you have laws, restrictions, and just livelihood being stripped from people day after day. Like, I think in a way, it's, it's, it's you know, a beautiful disaster. And I say it's a beautiful disaster because you're able to see the flaws in the system more prevalent than before. But see the changes that are needed to be able to transform it into what needs to be in the democracy. I'm not trying to be in no handman's tales lifestyle. I've heard about it. I've seen clips and I ain't really fucking with it too heavy. Um, but I feel like if they're able to pass this bill where they're able to charge the rich and make them pay more taxes instead of people like me out here paying astronomical taxes while the rich get richer. And uh, my pay, my net pay and my gross pay have a very substantial difference, even after health care and taxes, because health care is astronomical, too. I'd be grateful. I'd be real grateful. So is it safe anymore? I don't know. For me, I'm an introvert. So keep me. Just stay away from me. But I feel like we're, we've never fully gotten out of the pandemic, I feel. I feel like we never truly stepped out of the whole COVID thing. And I say that because there are people still catching COVID. Like, we're going on year two of this shit, and y'all have boosters. There have been so many remedies, supposedly, quote, unquote, that are able to subside to prevent COVID. And then you also have like polio showing up in water in, in Rochester and Rockland County. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm just in a state of, huh? What? Like, we're on literally year two. And people are still able to catch COVID, even having booster after booster, even with the whole thing. And I, and I want to say it's because nobody's really enforcing the original, you know, efficiency of six feet foot apart. Nobody's enforcing the mask rule because everybody feels like the shit is gone. We're in the endemic. I don't fucking agree. Um, and again, these are all my opinions. I feel like we are not in a state of consciousness to know how easily we're interacting with people. And it's allowing like shit to just spread still continuously. And I don't think it's going to stop until everybody's had it. Even with antibodies. Like I've heard I no niggas who've had it like two or three times. Like what? Then I don't know if y'all seen the clip of the dude who was out here and went to McDonald's. Because he claimed he didn't have food in his crib and went to McDonald's with monkeypox. And it's very visible he has monkeypox. But it's like, my nigga, was you that cheap where you couldn't be able to have that, like, door dashed or, you know, you know, whatever? Like, I don't feel like it was worth you putting the health risk because now you have people touching your card, 
to take your your order for your your you know your tender and then on top of that like you're really outside where they have to pass it to you like why would you even and you know what i'm saying and this is mcdonald's so why would you put motherfuckers at risk because they're clearly already still working there because they have no other means of, you know, income. Where you're subjecting yourself to, you know, infect other people. Like, I just think it was blatant ignorance. And it was selfish as hell. And that's another thing that I was, I, you know, my pastor was saying too. That, you know, there's three things. Because Bill Russell, may he rest in peace. Had established in his 11 rules uh, to Bill. Or something like that in his book that he wrote. It was like, it was about sacrifice. Um sacrifice uh gratitude no sacrifice end of the days and judgment and he was saying mainly sacrifice is also in this perspective of where you give even in a space where you don't have it fully to give but you still give anyway because you don't wait till you reach to that pinnacle point and he was saying like madam cj walker had you know was given fifty dollars for like four or five students at the time at Tuskegee Institute when Booker T. Washington was, you know, the president. And like you had the Rockefellers and stuff that were giving him millions of dollars to invest in Tuskegee Institute. And he kind of turned up his nose at Madam C.J. Walker looking at her like, why? $50 is not enough. Because tuition was like $98, I think, a year. I wish that shit was like that now. But it was $98 per student per year. And... She said to him, I hope that the student who gets these funds are able to find up, come up with the other 48. And Booker T. Washington was like, well, since you're self-made and you're making so much money, I guess in his mind, it's like, of course, him counting her pockets. Like, you're making all this money and I'm getting millions from Rockefellers and stuff. Why can't you give more? And Madam C.J. Walker purely saying where I'm paraphrasing, like, I'm not your white count. I'm not those white folks. They're giving to you in a space where they've already made millions and made it to the end where they're able to just literally write it off and just give it to you. Where I'm still in a space of building and transitioning where I'm giving what I can before I even get to my, you know, my climax of my success. And she's sacrificing. And it really resonated with me when my, my, my pastor said that because I'm like, yo, that's what life is really about. Like, you sacrifice at some points, I'm sure, where you give, where you can't give all, but you give enough just to do something. Like, I know for me, and I don't talk about the, the you know, the humanitarian or the giving I do because I just feel like everybody got an opinion about it and they feel like, oh, you're trying to get clown or you're trying to do this. And it's, it's never the case. But like, I can rarely carry cash because I have a bad habit of spending money with cash on hand, like just frivolously. And I know as an accounting how, because that's why it, it makes me monitor better. Plus, I don't like touching money because I don't know where it comes from. So I'm a germaphobe like that a little bit too. So like, eh, you feel me? So I had cash left over from when I took my last trip to go see Amanda, right? And there was a gentleman, like I pass, you know, people on a regular basis in, in the city I live in where, you know, people are asking for dollars or they're holding up signs. And... My pastor also brought this up too as well. Like, you know, people are out here panhandling because people get, you know, it's called panhandling. So this guy had a sign. I was driving and I'm trying to remember. I don't know where I was coming from. It might have been from the grocery store. And I kept seeing people who are, you know, panhandling, asking for dollars. But y'all know I'm from New York. So it's a certain essence of what I'm looking at of you being like really downtrodden that I'm going to give money because some of these people really be scammers. And we've seen videos of people doing that shit. So I'm over here like I see panhandlers, but all of them is white. 
in my mind, it ain't shade because I can't be racist because my people have never been oppressors. So call it prejudice. Call whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's my opinion, my choice. So they're panhandlers. I'm like, yo, I got this extra, you know, extra cash. And I'm not going to say the amount. I got this extra cash in my wallet. I want to do just do and give it to somebody who literally is out here that needs it. So I literally for weeks was passing panhandlers that was white. It was this random time where I'm coming from the grocery store. I'm like, yo, I'm not giving this money to somebody that looks like me. That's a person of color that really I want to put this in their pocket. I seen this man. I think I was on my way. Nah, I was on my way to the to the um, to the store. I was on my way to the grocery store, and this gentleman was outside with a, a sign that says, "We'll take whatever I can." I'm just grateful. I didn't read the sign. I just seen he was black. So I said, here, it's not much, because to me, it wasn't much, but it was enough. I mean, it was a good, you know, a good, a good amount of dollars. And I was like, but I was waiting to give, I've been holding on to this cash, and I've been waiting to give it to somebody who looks like me, because I feel like even though you might not have it to put back in the community, I feel like me giving to you is me doing my, my, my just service and due diligence by giving to you because you're a part of my community. He was like, my sister, please, thank you for that. And I was like, for what? He was like, for the fact that you really held on to your dollars until you seen somebody of color to give them to them, it speaks violence of your character. And I said, well, what do you mean? He was like, because most black folks will sit here and drive past. And if they do give dollars, they're not, they're giving them to the whites and they'll see somebody like us sitting there asking for the same thing, but they won't give us a dime. And he was like, the fact that you're intentional about how you provide back because you know where you come from speaks volume. So I thank you for that. Keep that mindset. He had to be an older gentleman. So the point of the moral of that story is I, I'm, I'm very intentional with my give backs because I feel like if I'm going to be a talk about my community and how I'm trying to tell y'all to uplift the community and do X, Y, Z, I got to be able to walk the walk. So I'm over here doing exactly what, you know. I'm trying to enforce y'all to do like keep keep it in the keep the dollars black literally. So there was a part in the sermon my pastor was saying, um, Pastor Clifford A. Jones, shout out to him. And I know I curse like a sailor sometimes, but God know my heart. <laughs> but my pastor Clifford A. Jones, a Frenchman Missionary Baptist Church, he is like, you know, a guy was arrested for panhandling. And the guy was like, well, how are you panhandling? He was like, well, I'm not panhandling because all I did was have a sign and somebody rolled down their window and decided to bless me or give me some money. So how am I panhandling when I never asked for it? So I'm sitting here like, where is pastor going with this message? Like, and I'm like panhandling. He was like, so in order for you to really arrest me, you would have to have proof of me asking somebody verbally or telling them, give me some money. And I haven't done that. So my pastor was like, think about it like this. Somebody in there in the world was willing to sacrifice and give to you without you having to ask for it. They just seen the sign and gave it to you. What? Do y'all hear? Mm. It, mm. 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 I said, ooh. He said, God does it to us every day. Well, he sees the signs and we don't say a word, but he gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He gives us the ability to move and go forward. Be that same person that you claim that you're so spiritual and so godlike, where you don't have to wait for people to ask, but you see the signs and just give it anyway. Did you hear what I just said? 
Yes, don't be the godlike energy since everybody still claims to be so holier now and so by the book but wanted to be Christ-like. Don't wait for the sign or somebody to ask where they panhandle for your assistance. You just give it because that's the means of what you have and you just are able to do it. But as your means increase, continue to give more fruitful and vigorously. When I say I sat there like you better preach, preacher. Because it makes you remind me too, is it safe anymore? It is safe enough. Because if I'm still grounded in who I am and my beliefs and my abilities and my ethics and my morals, there's never going to be a time where there's not going to be a sign I have to give that I'm not going to get. There's never going to be a time where somebody else has to show a sign where I see the signs and I'm not able to give. I was talking to one of my, uh, my younger sorority sisters the other day, yesterday, and I was telling her like, you know, I'm having a space of where I don't understand my purpose. Like, I feel like I know my purpose, but is that really my true assignment of what God has me here on this earth? Because everybody says they have a purpose and everybody has an assignment. But how do I know that my assignment is really my assignment? And then she was like, little do you might know, it might not be big to you, but there are times when I've been in distress and I haven't asked for nobody's help because I don't feel comfortable. You've always offered yourself by just being there or being that ear. So you do have a purpose and an assignment. And then I was thinking also what pastor said to you that sometimes what you feel might not be what's, you know, completely in true rhetoric of who you feel you're supposed to or what you're supposed to do. Giving yourself in a way that you don't have to do it where even if it's a price value attached to it means something to somebody else. It's a price point for them because it's priceless. It's something they're never going to forget. It's a gem to them to know that somebody cares enough to put them first because what it is to be a person who sacrifices or because you don't want to hear it is a person who's willing to when you're when they say like people are able to hear without listening which means that in order to listen you have to literally put yourself on the back burner to put somebody else's need forwards where you're just not hearing what they're saying but you're digesting what they're saying so when i thought about it i'm like wow i am this is my purpose this podcast might be my purpose of speaking on what's not you know commonly spoken on i i watched a documentary the other day called on the record and it had about Drew Dixon, who worked for um, Def Jam and her whole sexual assault situation with, you know, Russell Simmons and how there were about 20 women who came out about his sexual assault or harassment or all this, you know, the things that he's done. And it came out two years ago and I've had it on my to watch list for a couple a couple years and I've never taken the time to to actually watch it. And when I sat there yesterday, something was like, you know what, you can watch this. And I sat there and I watched it because y'all know I'm, I am a I am a survivor and a, a victor of sexual assault, um, you know, of rape. And as I sat there, I'm like to myself, it, that's what brought all these emotions of my purpose because around that time, 19 years ago, I was in the midst of being raped by a family member. And I felt like my voice, I never spoke on it because I felt like my voice didn't matter. Because as always, when it's a black woman, it's always we ask for it. But let it be a white woman. Everybody, they cry wolf. As we've seen with Emmett Till, the first thing smoking. You see what I'm saying? So black women are silenced most of the time when something happens because it's for us to see that we are supposed to be put into a space of silence and just not, we have to, and we're able to endure it because we don't, we don't really feel so it wasn't until Drew Dixon said that she went to 
Ghana and went to this place where there was this old, I guess, castle where they used to keep like it was two quarters, one quarter for men, one quarter for women. And you could see that women were chosen by choice where they would put a cannonball on their ankle and put in front of like governors and, you know, high upper echelon people where they were able to be chosen to who was going to rape them or who was going to, you know, take over their body for that time without their consent. And then there was a room where they had where like it was a skull over it where you could see scratch marks of the black men being tortured or reprimanded for stepping up to speak out for the black women who were being raped or being taken advantage of. As I'm sitting here saying this, and, and I, I'm pretty sure it's processing for y'all too. If you can see how it goes back to those times of slave times, this is all before the trans-American, you know, transatlantic trade, you know. If you can go back to those times to see how sometimes when black men spoke up or did whatever they did, they were reprimanded for defending us. You can see why a lot of black men or most black men don't do it as often. And you can see why a lot of black women are able to just stay silent and just withstand the pain. But you also see it when, when she was talking about it, how people like Russell Simmons and even people down to, you know, that gentleman who's in Chicago who just got reprimanded or, you know, Mr. Cosby who pretty much were like, since I can't go ahead and fight against y'all, I'm going to play in the arena and play the game with y'all because I know I can get away with it. And if I have y'all in my corner backing me as I do it, it's going to make it easier for me to get away with it. This is the tale of those time. So when I say is it safe anymore, it was never safe. But it was safe because we knew in our minds at some point in time that despite diseases like monkeypox, Prior to the age of, you know, Spanish flu, uh, prior to COVID and, you know, all, all this stuff. But like 2017 put a spin on a lot of us to, you know, open our minds. But 2020 really gave us the vision to see how much damage is done in this democracy, right? There was never true safety precautions for us even as people to know how to protect ourselves, let alone protect ourselves from the world we never asked to be put in. So outside of the diseases, if you think about it, the crack epidemic happened because they were willing to put crack on the streets to put us in, you know, red line in, in, in neighborhoods where we wouldn't be able to thrive at our best, where we would have to subject ourselves to not just be selling crack, where we now use it as a coping mechanism to numb our pains, to numb everything that's going on. So has it really ever been safe for us? No, but have we still been able to strive and thrive? Yes. Physically, is it safe? It never has been. It could be a point in the matter today where somebody could be a Sandra Bland. It could be a point in the matter today where somebody could be a Brittany Griner, where whole time it takes one stroke of, of, you know, Biden's pen, where you still got people behind bars for, you know, ounces of marijuana, but you're willing to go ahead and subject yourself for a Russian killer or whoever this this motherfucker is, where you're willing to trade a life for something as skewed as marijuana over a life for somebody who's known to be a killer who is a detriment to society, and you still got people behind bars being reprimanded for it. But because it's Brittany Grinder, she's more of a notable figure. But you see, the essence of it is she's not she's she's a black woman, a black woman, a part of the community. How logic would that look on Biden's Biden's agenda to be able to do right by her? 
given she's a part of what she's a part of on top of that being a black woman. It's too much like right. I don't care what y'all say. Kamala's a puppet. She's a puppet. But I'm going to choose a lesser two evil. She's a puppet. So now they got her out here more on her little campaign, showing her face more where she's outside. For what? We seen through the bullshit and the facade. Like, so what are y'all really trying to sell us here? You're not going to shit and then try to tell me that it's sugar. Like, it's just not going to happen now. Like, we've had so much time to process to look. If you look at all these factors, it's a fact. This is why I love and I think y'all should tap into Hell of a Week by Charlemagne the God. The conversations aren't the same as much as they were back when he had it as the God's Honest Truth with season one. I love that setup. The dynamic was way more engaging. But at the same token, I feel like with the hell of a week, it literally does recap everything that we endure that they don't talk about. Excuse me. So I talk, me and my homegirl, we always compare notes every week about it because it literally is very much enlightening and very mind provoking. And she was like, every week she always has to get shadow banned because she's always has to Google him and look up stuff. There are people who are martyrs out here that are making changes and speaking on the shit they don't want us to hear because they feel like ignorance is bliss. But some of us are not subsiding to that logic anymore and actually enlightening ourselves and educating ourselves to know better for self to have better for the future. So when they discuss this in, in hell of a week, it talks about like things like Roe v. Wade. Like y'all really took a whole thing to overturn it. And did nothing. But it's like when I to, to go back to on the record with Drew Dixon. It speaks of how much little women have rights, but imagine being a black woman. Like Anita Hill spoke on Clarence Thomas, and that motherfucker sitting in the Supreme Court. So you speak of all these people who have had, you know, spoken up. Like I forgot the name of the young woman. Um what is it? Dominique Washington, who was raped by uh mike tyson back in like the 90s and she's been like under the radar like the fact of the matter is people who've spoken about this stuff how now have to go into hiding when they say it because they don't know what kind of replicate you know uh you know oh i can't even talk they don't know what kind of backlash they're going to receive for speaking up and speaking out and the only reason why i kind of knew about the whole russell simmons thing is because of amanda seals when he was like to her, he met her, had said, had a conversation. He was like to her, oh, yeah, have we fucked? And she was like, uh, no. He was like, yeah, because I remember if we would have fucked. If Amanda, first of all, Amanda's not a liar. Amanda's not a liar. Amanda is so, so much of a truth teller that she gets reprimanded for all the truths that she tells. So to watch you Dixon and see that she's one of many people who have come up to speak about it. And to this day, there have been no actions. And the same thing to hear about L.A. Reid, which I'm not shocked about either. It's just like, you give niggas power and they will coon the fuck out. What do you mean? If you give a black person too much power because they're so used to not having it and being in spaces where they're actually an uh, uh, equal or have a uh, same, you know, see eye to eye with the man, they will run with this shit. 
Hence why Roe v. Wade is just a bunch of bullshit because if you want to do that, let's do Loving vs. Virginia and make sure that interracial marriages never fucking happen. Especially since Roe v. Wade is the reason why y'all really are doing it because y'all are not making enough white babies. So let's just cut it off. Let's cut the middleman. Let's no longer have interracial marriages either because then y'all won't have to worry about y'all being a minority. But no, if we do that, that means a bunch of y'all coons are going to have to divorce the wives that y'all are currently with and not be able to see them in public. You see how sometimes it's such a contradiction to why this, this whole government is just full of shit. It's full of shit. You're taking away human rights, but at the same token, say freedom of speech is something like the First Amendment. You have the Bill of Rights, but you're taking away rights. The first 10 amendments of the Constitution are the Bill of Rights. Yet and still, they're not placed for us. The forefathers created that for men to have a patriarchal society, for them to be the misogynistic assholes that they are today, for them to speak on body shit and shit that they are not able to reproduce because they don't go through a period, they don't go to pregnancy, where they're able to speak on shit that they don't have to endure. Yet and still we have how many percentages of black women when they have childbirth are dying while they're in the midst of giving birth because people are ignoring their pains and not being conscious enough to adhere to the complaints. But y'all want me to have kids so goddamn bad. It's literally a gamble for life out here in these streets. It's a gamble. And these motherfuckers is doing anything possible to go ahead and try to make it seem like everything's fine. That raided in the Florida and Donald Trump's household. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised like how, how Charlemagne said if they if if Ivanka Literally has the documents buried in her um her casket since you know he buried the bitch on his golf course where it literally has prevalent evidence to fucking bring him up on charges and supposedly there was stuff in there where he leaked names somebody leaked some names and some shit where the documents that he, is a bill he passed is now being used against him. One thing about them tables, baby, they always turn it. I just think it's crazy. Like that whole orange Cheeto shit. I, I listen on to the next. So Amanda Seals had an episode called co-conspirators versus allies. And y'all need to go check that out. And I think it was important for her to discuss it because a lot of, a lot of y'all crackers is out here saying y'all allies when y'all need to be co-conspirators, but it's allies until it's time for y'all to get your hands ready. But the co-conspirators baby have no time. No problem getting in the mud with the muds. Okay. They don't have no problem getting into the mud with the mugs because a co-conspirator really will risk... What a co-conspirator is is somebody who's willing to risk their privilege knowing all that's on the line without unapologetically doing it, without even any type of remorse because it knows it could be for the betterment of others. I had a supposed former friend... Well, I wouldn't even say they're my friend. They're an associate now at this point. I have an associate who identifies themselves as an ally, but the whole time they're full of shit because... Talking about it and actually putting in the effort is a different story. And I was saying this to my homegirl, Tiana, who I had on my podcast, um, who was on my podcast not too long ago, and said that I shouldn't have to direct her to be a co-conspirator because you know what I, you've watched what I've endured over the years and you've known me since we were kids. Nonetheless, you being oppressed by somebody as well in your religion speaks volumes, so you should already know how the fuck that shit feels. And your privilege can go further indoors where to this to this day, this bitch has never asked me about my mental state. To this day, this bitch has never asked me how do I feel about X, Y, and Z to see my perspective, but yet you're such a fucking ally. When you have somebody literally right next to you that you're able to advocate for and fight for and have yet to check in, so no bitch, you're a fucking fraud. 
You're full of shit. And I'm good off you. Because real niggas do real shit. And you might not be a nigga, but real people do real shit. And you're not real. I'm good enough for you to be a poster to have to say that you know me. But bitch, you don't do shit for me. So be mindful of those fucking weak ass allies or those white people that say they're for you. But don't go ahead and ruffle feathers and willing to put their shit on the line and make sure that you have the right equal rights and human rights that you deserve as a person. And if y'all can put two and two together, y'all probably can realize who the fuck it is if you've been listening to this podcast long enough. How about that? But I'm bum. And it's like still, it's a blame game. Like, who do you take? Who takes fault? You know what I'm saying? And again, like I said, Biden was the best choice because I'm going to choose a lesser of two evils. And it's going to be interesting to see how this election is going to be in 2024 because, child, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't I don't I don't know. But what I do know is these student loans coming back into play. I rebuke them in the name of Jesus. I rebuke them because it's already been proven that African Americans pay way more percentages on their student loans than white Americans who borrow and yet and still we're reinstating this shit for what? Just do what you said you was going to do. You said you was going to clear the debt, Joe. So, Joe, where we at, Joe? Where we at? Again, is it safe anymore to breathe and live? Because inflation is so crazy to the point, like, breathing costs $20. And it's like, well, how the fuck? I haven't even left the house. How am I breathing? This costing me $20. Is it safe? Was it ever safe? They don't want to say we're in a recession, but baby, then what is it? Because the damn sure ain't recess. We damn sure not having fun out here playing kickball. The inflation, yeah, gas is going down, but it's still like three fifty eight a gallon. This shit is still expensive. Damn near four dollars a gallon. Given it probably a month ago it was just like what four fifty eight a gallon, like which is astronomical. But like, so so if this is not a recession, what the fuck is going on? What are we doing? We're just all grieving. Literally, day by day, trying to fucking exist now. While trying to be able to maintain and live life. But how is it possible you ain't got no money in your pocket and all of it goes towards bills because you don't got the opportunity to live your best life? Then you had the stupid uh, Sesame Street madness with the kids and realizing down the road that shit, they've been doing that for years. But Sesame Street was created on the backs of being able to show for inner city youth and urban. Hence why the whole... Layout is based off Harlem. It was created for kids for them to learn and educate and elevate themselves because they weren't getting the proper resources provided for them in those days back in the 70s. Is it really safe? Because now y'all are colonizing something where now it's made for unification and making it diversified. For what reason? <sighs> and it ain't just at Sesame Street. I see. I hear that it's at other places. But yet and still, we're 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 going we're coming to times where you have Kansas City. You know they they had a private party. This black family rented out a water park for the you know private private event for a private party for their kid, and they get denied access because the park person, the white bitch, feels like it's not necessary for them to be able to come in because she feels that they're suspicious and she feels threatened. Yet and still, for the fuck what they rented it out. Yet and still, you feel like it's not safe. 
while the police officer stands next to her. What the fuck are you there for, sir? Why are you here? So we can't even be party while we're black, even though you took our black dollars, our black families can't walk in to celebrate our kid? Again, is it safe or has it ever been safe? Niggas don't got to drive around with green books anymore to go state from state to try to avoid sundown towns, but it seems like we can't even live to even fucking exist without being reprimanded. Or having some type of consequence to an action. I just seen Cherry Johnson say that she put up a bikini picture on her Instagram and she can now no longer monetize off her reels because they're saying that it was obscene. But the whole time she could say nigga on here, but she can't say cracker with two with three K's. Y'all make it fucking make sense. I mean, the math just ain't math. And like one plus three equals seven. And at this point, seven times two equals a hundred. I, I just... The way that the guns are being jumped, I, to all of y'all out there that's in millennials, 30 years, 30 people, 30 and under that are fighting day after day, I hear you. I see you. And I'm praying for you because I, if y'all like me, it's a fight. It's a fight to be optimistic. And I try to listen to Sounds of Blastic and just, you know, keep my head to the sky. But baby... Sometimes I feel like I'm putting my head to the sky while I'm like, while it's raining, pouring down, and I'm I'm drowning myself in my own in my own tears. I'm drowning myself with the with the rain that's falling so hard because my head is up and I'm not giving myself time to just breathe and just let it roll down and roll off my back. I don't know. Anybody got some suggestions? Cause it's out here crazy and it just feels like can we just exhale? Like we are literally waiting to exhale. Not to mention, you have things going on in this world so crazy where a mom of six is slain in Philadelphia. Six beautiful girls just had a baby by her own child's father in broad daylight. Now there's six young girls who are without a mother and a father because the father's now incarcerated for her murder and the mother's gone. Literally, the baby had to be more, no more than seven months old. Six girls. Now they have to be raised where they got to understand what life is without parents. They're pretty much orphans at this point. All because of a sick, twisted mind of entitlement, probably, and jealousy, where this nigga literally wasn't thinking, was just thinking about self and not thinking about the livelihoods of his daughters. But yet you're supposed to be the first man that they're supposed to love. Girl, 32 years old, very promising future. Always maintain her kids, always well kept, very knowledgeable, pouring them, giving them the, you know, giving them fruits. And I don't mean the kind that you can eat. Young queen gone. Is it safe anymore? Woman went out for her birthday the other day. Supposed to go to a, go to a spa massage whole time. She pretty much was trying to attempt to my try to fucking attempt to poison her. She almost could have fucking died and she only touched it a little bit. The whole time she would have touched the whole thing, she could have died. Is it safe anymore? Are y'all hearing me? Oh my God. I feel like I'm playing the same old record and the same old song, but it's just like, this is what, this is, welcome to America. This is the reality of what we're living in. This is the bullshit we got to deal with. Then you got fucking Krishan, Rock, and Blueface out here having public disputes, fucking having literal fucking. Uh, a throwdown in the middle of the fucking street. People recording the shit and then lo and behold, she laid up in bed kissing on his head. Toxic shit where they're embracing it. Why are we doing this? 
she has her own story. Yes, she came from. But I feel like like this is exactly the shit that they want to see us acting like fucking performative monkeys, showing our asses, letting them know that we don't deserve shit. Embracing and say, oh, couples goals. No, nigga, that's toxic. You want somebody putting their hands on you, female or male, no matter what the circumstances. No, I need to put their hands on you, period. Is it safe? I couldn't I I can even tell you. This last few months have been, it's definitely united in grief. It's definitely a space of where do we find the silver lining to the, to the dark clouds? Will we ever be safe? I don't even know. As I always throw in air, let's keep it real. And never forget, be real, be true, and always be unapologetic to you. As Asia Epperson always says, do something nice for somebody else today if you don't do something nice for yourself. Because we deserve it. G-wagging away from, it was all for rap I was 28 years young, 20 million in tax Bought a couple of mansions, chef for practice 500 in jewelry, chain was magic Never had it in public, late reaction 50k to cousins, post a caption Pray none of my enemies hold me captive I grieve different 